there's a, a YouTube video that I saw uh, a couple years ago that has haunted me for the past few years. And it's a YouTube video of a man named Penn Gillette. Now, how many of you are familiar with the comedy magic team of Penn and Teller? Have you all seen Penn and Teller before? Penn is a really tall guy. Teller is a guy who doesn't talk. And they do amazing illusions, uh, amazing magic, and they're very funny at the same time. So uh, Penn, Gillette, and Teller uh, are this comedy team of Penn and Teller. And Penn uh, recorded a video after one of his shows a few years back, maybe about eight years ago, nine years ago. And in this video, he talks about a man who came up to him after one of his shows. And this man comes up to him, uh, kind of a big guy. He's a businessman. He had been at the show the night before. And at that show, he was part of the, uh, the routine. He was uh, asked to do some things in the show. And, and so the next night, he comes back. And after the show, he walks up to Penn. And Penn's out there signing autographs and mingling with the crowd and whatnot. And so this guy comes up to him. And tells him how much he appreciated the show, how much he laughed, and how much, how much fun he had, and, and what a great show it was. And so he's talking to Penn about how much he really admired him and, and how much he liked the show. And then he reached into his pocket, and he pulled out a, a Gideon's New Testament. And he handed it to Penn. Now, Penn is an avowed atheist, like diehard atheist. And so he had no desire to read this Bible but he was so touched by this act of kindness. And he thought about it for a while. And in the Bible, the man had written a, a short note, uh, as well as he had written down his phone number, several phone numbers that he could reach him at, including his email address. He said, I, if you want to talk about faith or anything, you can give me a call. And then he left. And Penn started thinking about it and, and and this is what he said in this video. He, he went back and, he, he, like I said, he recorded this video, and this is what he said. He explains, I've always said, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there is a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much... Do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? Gillette then offered this example to illustrate his point. If I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that the truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point that I tackle you. And this eternal life is more important than that. And that really struck me when I started thinking about why don't we invite people to church? Why don't we share our faith with people? Why don't we tell people about Jesus Christ? And I think there's three possible reasons that we don't tell people about Jesus. There are three reasons that we don't share our faith with people. Whether teenagers, whether it's a, a, co a co-worker at the job you work, the part-time job you work, or if it's a, a classmate, someone at school with you. Uh, if, if, you're, uh, if you're older, uh, maybe it's your kids and you're just afraid of offending your children and so you don't want to tell them about Jesus. Or maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your husband or your, your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your, or your wife. 
Maybe it's your parents. You don't want to talk to your parents about Jesus. You don't want to invite them to church and you're just nervous and you're afraid that's going to make it socially awkward. You don't want to talk to your neighbors about Jesus because you're afraid they're, what they're going to think about you. They're going to think you're some kind of weirdo Jesus freak or something like that. And so you just don't want to share your faith and you don't want to talk to people about Jesus. You don't want to invite them to church because, again, you don't want them to think that you're weird or anything like that or, or you're afraid it might damage the relationship that you have with them. And so you just don't do it. And I think there are three reasons why we don't invite people to church. There are three reasons why we don't share our faith. Uh, the first is that fear factor. We're afraid. We're afraid to tell people about Jesus. What if they reject me? What if they ostracize me? What if I, if I, if I invite somebody, to work, uh, somebody at work to church? What if I lose my job because of that? Or what if I get a demotion because of that? Or what if I get you know, kicked out of my social circle because of that? Or when it comes to my children, if I, I don't want to fight with them about going to church. I don't want to fight with them about getting up on a Sunday morning. I don't want to fight with them uh, about faith and, and things like that. And so I just don't want, to, I don't want to fight with them. I'm afraid that might hurt my relationship with my kids. Or if you're a teenager and, and you're afraid of, of telling your friends that you go to church because they're going to look at you weird and they're going to think that you're some kind of crazy person, that you're a Jesus freak, you know, and... And so you don't want to invite your friends to church because, again, church is lame and it's for losers. And the only reason you're here today, teenagers, is because your mom and dad dragged you here, right? Don't amen that. But we're afraid of what other people might think, and so we don't invite them to church. And we don't share our faith. We're afraid. Uh, the second reason that we might not invite someone to church, the second reason that we might not uh, tell them about Jesus is because... Uh, we don't believe God. We're, we're some kind of like a, a strange atheist. Uh, we believe in God, but we don't believe that what he says is true. Because if we really believed, and we honestly believed that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him, if we really believe that people who don't believe in Jesus don't go to heaven, if people who don't believe in Jesus uh, suffer in hell for all eternity, if we really believe that, if we really believe that heaven and hell were on the line, that we would do something about it. It's like the truck illustration. If you saw that your child was about to get run over by a truck, and your child is just a clueless and oblivious, and you didn't do anything about it, of course you would. So we're either afraid or we're, we're kind of a, an atheistic universalist. That we believe that, well, maybe just God's going to say, ah, you know what, everybody can come on in. All that stuff about Jesus and him dying on the cross, that's not really necessary. Don't worry about that. Everybody can come on in. And you're all basically good people, right? And so just everybody just, I, I love everybody, so I just want everybody to come to heaven. Everybody can come on in. And you may be thinking, thinking, well, that's kind of what I believe, or yeah, that sounds right, or that, that sounds plausible, except for the fact that in reality, we don't want everybody to go to heaven. And you may be thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, of course I want everybody to go to heaven. Do you really want everybody to go to heaven? Because what if I told you that universalism means that Hitler gets to go to heaven? Now, wait a minute, Sean, no, Hitler doesn't get to go to heaven because he did really horrible things. He was, he was really, really bad. Or... Uh, ISIS terrorists get to go to heaven. And now you're thinking, wait a minute, no, 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 ISIS terrorists, the guys who flew the, the planes in the Twin Towers, no, th they don't get to go to heaven. They're really, really bad. But in the reality of the situation, we are all really, really, really bad. And none of us deserve to go to heaven. 
In fact, the Bible says that the wages of sin, and we're all sinners and we've all sinned against God, the wages of sin, that what we deserve and what we earn because of our sin is eternal death. That is the wages of sin, but in Romans 6, 23, it says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. That the free gift of God is eternal life. So you don't have to go to hell. You don't have to suffer for eternity. No one has to go to hell, but everybody has the opportunity to go to heaven. They just need the invitation. So we are either afraid or we're some kind of weird atheist that doesn't really believe that what God says is true or we're apathetic. And we just don't care. That the people that we know and the people that we care about who are down, destined and bound for hell, we just really don't care that much. So it's one of the three. It's either we're afraid, we're atheistic, or we're apathetic. And that's why we don't share our faith. That's why we don't invite people to church. Whether it's a neighbor, a coworker, a classmate, a parent, a child, a grandparent, a brother, a sister. And today I want to talk about that. Oh, Sean, man, you're bringing me down. It's a beautiful day outside. Why do we have to talk about heavy stuff like heaven and hell? Why do I, uh, I like your happy sermons. Why can't you do one of those today? I want to be in a happy mood. I want to feel conviction. I'm sorry, you're going to feel conviction today. It's one of those kinds of days. Because it's so vitally important. It's so incredibly important. It is so eternally important that we talk to people about Jesus. Because in the reality of the situation, heaven and hell are on the line. And if we believe that what the Bible says is true, that people who don't know Jesus don't go to heaven, and we have to do something about it. So I want to talk to you today about who's your one. I'm not going to ask you to go out and knock on all your neighbor's doors. Can I talk to you about Jesus? Shazam! I'm not going to ask you to go and put flyers and, and tracks on people's windows at Strax this weekend. I'm not going to ask you to do that. No, I'm going to ask you to do something really, really simple. And that is to think about one person. Who's your one? That's what we're talking about today. Who is that one person that keeps you up at night? Thinking, I have got to have some kind, I've got to talk to them about Jesus. I've I got to invite them to church. I just, I'm worried about them. I'm worried that they're not going to go to heaven. I'm worried that they're not going to find Jesus and so who's your one? Who's that one person that's always on your heart that, man, I gotta, I gotta find an opportunity to invite him to church. I gotta find an opportunity to tell him about Jesus because they gotta know him. Who's that one person that keeps you up at night? Who's that one person who your heart breaks for when it comes to salvation and when it comes to, to knowing Jesus? Who's that one person? Who's your one? We're gonna talk about that today. And I wanna look at two Bible stories that talk about how people brought their one to Jesus. The first is in John chapter 1. So if you've got your Bible, turn to John chapter 1. If you didn't bring your Bible, you can grab one out of the chair in front of you. It looks like this. And it's on page 750 of that Bible. And we're going to look at John 1. And this is actually two stories in one passage about how somebody brought their one to Jesus. 
So we're in John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42, and then 43 through 51. And we're going to look at this passage together. Then we're going to flip over to Luke's gospel in just a minute and talk about that. So Luke, uh, John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42. The next day, this is the day after John baptizes Jesus. The next day, John was there again with his two disciples. And now this is at the Jordan River. John has been baptizing a baptism of repentance. Uh, and people are dedicating themselves to God. Uh, and now... Jesus has come to John and has been baptized, and this is what happens. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, now John had his own disciples, he had followers too. When his two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour, or about four o'clock. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are, called Simon. You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is Aramaic for the Greek word Peter, or Petros, which means rock. So, Andrew brings his brother to Jesus. When Andrew meets Jesus and discovers that he is who he says he is, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, that he is the Christ, the promised one, when he comes to Jesus and he meets Jesus, he's like... I got just the guy who's got to meet this guy. I got I, I to gotta go get my brother. I got to go get Simon. And he brings Simon to Jesus because he just had to introduce him. So it makes me wonder, <laughs> have we met Jesus? And you're thinking, of course I have. I've been coming to church my whole life. No, no, no. That's not what I'm asking you. I'm not asking you if you've gone to church your whole life. I'm asking you, do you know Jesus? Have you met Jesus? Is Jesus making a difference in your life? Is he changing your life? Is, is he filling you with hope and joy and love and peace and, and all those spiritual blessings that we have in him? Have you met Jesus? Because if you have, then you know other people have to meet Jesus because that's what Andrew did. Andrew brought his family to meet Jesus. Let's keep going. Verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. So he calls this man named Philip to follow him. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael, a friend of his, and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now what is interesting is scholars believe that Nathaniel may have been pondering and meditating on the life of Jacob. 
because Jacob was the first Israelite, but in him there was much deceit. There was much false in Jacob. And when Jews wanted to meditate and they wanted to contemplate and think about God's word, they would go and they would sit under a tree to do that. How many of you have ever done that? Just kind of sat down under a tree and just to think, right? That's what, they were, that's what Nathaniel's doing. He's sitting under a tree and he's thinking about God and he's thinking about Jacob. Now, what's interesting is that God, Jesus tells uh, Nathaniel that he is going to see heaven open and then kind of like in a vision, he's going to see angels ascending and descending. And what's amazing is that is the exact same vision that Jacob had in the book of Genesis. That you are going to see heaven open and see angels ascending and descending. So it's quite possible that Jacob, uh, Nathaniel's thinking about Jacob and then Jesus tells him, I saw you under the fig tree and I know what you were thinking about. You were thinking about Jacob, weren't you? And Nathaniel is just floored that this man named Jesus knew him so well. How is that possible? It's because Jesus is the Son of God. It's because Jesus is the Messiah. Flip over to uh, Luke chapter 5. It's on page 728 of that Bible in the chair. Page 728. It's Luke 5, 17 through 26. This is another story. So you've got Andrew who brings his family to Jesus. You have Philip who brings his friend Nathaniel to Jesus. And now we've got two other guys who bring their friend to Jesus. And, and their friend needed some healing. Their friend needed some help. And so they brought him to Jesus for help. Look at verse 17 of Luke 5. One day as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law, who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. This is Jesus. Some men came, carrying a paralytic on a mat, and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. You've got these friends of this paralyzed man, and he needs Jesus' help. And he needs Jesus' healing. And so they bring him to Jesus. Only problem is they get to the house where Jesus is. They had heard that Jesus was in town. And they get to the house. And there's so many people gathered around Jesus that they can't get the man to Jesus. But desperate times call for desperate measures. And they had to get creative about how they were going to get their friend to Jesus. All they knew is that they had to get their friend to Jesus. And so they go up on the roof, you can climb up on the roof, and they start digging through the tiles and the thatch and the mud, and they tear a hole open in the top of the roof. And I don't know who the homeowner was, and if he had State Farm or Geico or whatever, and, uh, but I don't know how you claim that. Is that an act of God? I don't know. So, 
So they tear through the roof. <laughs> Seriously, it's like, that's, that's, what are you doing to my roof? But they take this man and they lower him in front of Jesus because they know that Jesus can heal their friend. They know that Jesus can bring healing to this man, that he can help their friend. And so they bring him to Jesus. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, which seems like a strange thing to say. In our world, you know, 2,000 years later, we know Jesus can do that because that's what Jesus does for us. He died for our sins. He died to forgive us. We know Jesus forgives sins. We believe in him, repent from our sins, confess our faith, get baptized. God washes away our sins in that moment, and God cleanses us and purifies us, and, and he makes us clean. But they didn't know that. So Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees and teachers of the law are like, who is this blasphemer speaking this blasphemy? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus knows what they're thinking. And it's like, I'm going to show you who I am. Because it is, it's easy to say your sins are forgiven because you can't prove that. You can't prove that until you get to heaven. And then you find out, yeah, I guess my sins were forgiven. He says, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven? That's obviously easier than to say, get up and walk. If somebody came up here, was, was brought up here on a mat, and they said, Sean, can you heal this man? Uh, I'd be like, uh, no. <laughs> because if I say, yeah, get up and walk, and he doesn't get up and walk, then I'm a phony. But if Jesus says to him, get up and walk, and the man doesn't get up and walk, then he's obviously a phony. But Jesus says to him, this is hard, but I can do it. Get up, pick up your mat, and go. And that's what he does. So Jesus shows his power over disease and illness and hurt and pain. And he shows his power over paralysis. And he heals this man and he gets up and he walks home, praising God. And it's all because his friends brought him to Jesus. Andrew's one was his brother Simon. Philip's one was his friend Nathaniel. These guys, their friend, their one was this paralyzed man. And so my question for you today is, who's your one? I want to give you some practical steps to identify your one and to, to determine who's your one and how you can bring your friend to Jesus. How you can bring your one to Jesus. The first thing you've got to do is identify your one. You've got to identify your one. Who is that one person that you just, your heart aches and breaks for? Who is that one person that you're like, I've got to bring them to Jesus. They've got to know him. They've got to hear about his love. They've got to experience this. They've got to know Jesus. Who is your one? I can't believe I just did that. I never pound anything, and now I'm, I'm all of a sudden I'm a table pounder. That's weird, isn't it? It's like, what's he doing? He never pounds the table. Pound on the table today, folks. Who's your one? Identify your one. Identify that one person that you want to bring to Jesus more than any other. Identify your one. Second step you need to take is you need to pray for your one. You need to pray, pray, pray. And when you get done praying, you've got to pray some more. Pray for your one. If you're not praying for them, who is? Don't leave it up to somebody else. Pray for your one. I heard Lee Strobel say this. He said, if God answered all your prayers that you prayed in the last week in the affirmative, if God answered all of your prayers in the affirmative that you have prayed in the last week, how many people would be in heaven? How many people would be on their way to heaven because you were praying for them to hear about Jesus and to come to salvation? How many people have you been praying for to, to be saved? Would anybody be in heaven because you prayed for them in the last week? 
If not, you need to start praying and pray for your one. Identify your one, pray for your one. Because if you're not praying for them, no one might be praying for them. And you need to pray for your one. The third thing you need to do is you need to live consistently in front of your one. And this is so important. This is so very important. Because you don't want to be the one who is, is the, you don't want to be the one that, that people look at and go, huh, that's why I'm not a Christian. Because of the way they live. Because they're all hypocrites just like you. Just like you. And don't be that hypocrite that people look at and go, that's why I don't want to go to church. That's why I don't want, that's why I don't want Jesus because I believe the church is full of hypocrites because I know them. So live consistently. Live faithfully. Live out your faith in a genuine way every day. Now I'm not saying you have to be perfect. Christians aren't perfect. We're just forgiven. And you can't be perfect, and I can't be perfect. There was only one, and his name was Jesus. So when it comes to your faith in Christ, when it comes to living out your faith, live consistently. Be the same person out there tomorrow that you are in here today. Because we do that, right? We come to church, it's like, i got to look good. i gotta, I got to put on my church face. i got to put on my church act. I'm not going to cuss and lie in church, you know. But you step out of here, and then you cuss and lie out there. There's no difference between being in here and being out there. This is just a building, folks. You are the church. We are the church. This is not a place where we come and put on a, a, an act. I'm not saying act in here like you act out there. I'm saying act out there like you act in here. Live a consistent Christian life. Don't be that person that people go, hypocrite. That's why I'm not a Christian. Be consistent in your faith and in your witness, and in your life. Fourth thing, love your one like Jesus loves your one. That means you've got to have a heart of compassion that beats for people who don't know Jesus. You've got to ha have a heart of compassion that beats for your one. So love your one like Jesus loves your one. That means being willing to do anything to, for that person. Be willing to do anything to show them Jesus' love. Show them the love of Jesus Christ. Love your one like Jesus loves your one. And finally, when it comes down to it, invite your one. And just say, I want you to come check out my church. How many of you are here today because somebody invited you at some point? How many of you are a Christian because somebody invited you to church at some point? That's a majority of us. Somebody brought us to Jesus. So invite someone to come to Jesus. Invite someone to come to church. Now, you may think, I don't know that I want my friends to come to church. Why not? Or you may say, I, I, I don't, I don't, there's certain things about my church that I don't like. And, and if you're embarrassed or ashamed about your church, I want you to talk to our elders. Or I want you to talk to me. And I want to find out what's going on, the, the reason why you feel like you can't invite your friends to church. I'm not saying we're going to change everything to your whims and to your preferences. But you're here. You like it. What about your friends? Why wouldn't they like it? Invite your one. Invite your one. This week, pray for your one. Pray for your one. Love your one. Live consistently in front of your one and invite your one. Because if you don't, who will? You've got to invite your one. 
And when they do, I promise you this, we are working on this, the leadership team, uh, the elders and the deacons, we are working on this to make GFCC the very best that we can so that when your one comes, that one Sunday that they come here and they're like, yes, fine, I'll give in, I'll come to church, I guess, I suppose, that when they walk in those doors, they're going to be overwhelmed with the love of God. They're going to be overwhelmed with the love of his people, and they're going to be overwhelmed with the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what we want to do, and that's what we want to make this to be. So that when you invite your one, when you invest your life in your one by loving them and praying for them and, and living in front of them and, and inviting them, when you invest your life in them, that when they come, they're going to want to know Jesus. And that's what we're all about here is helping people follow Jesus so that we can introduce them to him and they can start following him and follow him all the way to heaven. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, oh, we come to you this morning on behalf of our ones. Lord, you know who's on our heart right now. You know what situations are going on in our heads. And so we pray for our one in this very moment. We pray for our one who doesn't know you. We pray for our parents who may not know you, for our grandparents who may not know you, for our children who may not know you. We pray for our brothers and our sisters who may not know you. Pray for our coworkers and our neighbors and our friends who don't know you. And we pray that they would come to know you through our witness and through our church. God, we pray today that you would prepare their hearts to hear the good news of Jesus and they would hear it from us. They would see it lived out in us. We pray today that you would give us an opportunity this week to share our faith with someone or to invite someone to church. And that we would not only see that opportunity, but we would seize that opportunity to share the good news with someone who needs your healing touch, with someone who needs your love, someone who needs Jesus. So Lord, we lift up to you our ones. And we're gonna, in our minds right now, God, we're gonna just lift their name up to you. Whisper that name to the Lord right now. In your mind, whisper that name to the Lord right now. Just say, this is my one. God, this is my one. I want them to know you. I want them to believe in Jesus. I want them to be saved. God, this is my one. Hear our prayers, O oh Lord. Hear our prayers today. <clears throat>